Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lever Ball Show. As we're excited to be getting things back underway. And our guest on this episode is John Sarasani. And John has worn a lot of different hats. He's the uh, founder and owner of Glencrest Global, um, played football at Notre Dame, and also has put out quite a few um, different pieces. He's done some writing. He has a new book he's working on. And John, I won't tell your story for you, but, um, okay. you know, what can you tell everyone, you know, if, if you're ready or I don't know if you're keeping things confidential, <laughs> but, you know, what can you tell everyone about the book you're putting out? Well, thanks, man, for uh, asking me that. No, I could tell people. Uh, my editor might still come back with a few minor changes, hopefully not too much. Uh, every time I get an email from him, I, uh, I hold my breath. I'm like, shit, another damn chapter, bro. But um, it's uh, it's it's called the, it's called two thousand percent raise, and I use my background as as a storyline and working in corporate America, learning the trade, and instead of going to that office once a year asking your manager or somebody in upper management or the person in human resources for for a raise or for for a promotion, hey, I hope I get better than a cost of living adjustment this year. F that shit, bro. Give yourself a 2,000% raise, put yourself on top of the org chart, and then compete and win against companies like your former employer. Um, I encourage readers to look at life that way, view, their, view, their, view themselves in corporate America um, as paid training for their future company. All right, get a job, learn the trade, get paid for it, be a great employee, and then move on and give yourself that 2,000% raise. I use my background as um, as really the guide for the for the reader. It's so funny, though, because, you know, you talk about, um, you know, using your job as, as training, and there's such an edge that comes from working for low pay early in your career to build a resume. Now, obviously, it gets harder to do that as you get older and start to have children and a mortgage to pay, but that was huge for me in my career. And it, it's funny because, you know, I remember certain kids I went to college with got out of college and would brag about how they were making more money than I was. Yep. But, you know, that they're, that's their ceiling. That's the amount they're going to make for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things. And, you know, for, for me, it, it's interesting also because, you know, people pay so much money for, you know, master's degrees, PhDs. Yep. Working for free, you don't lose money. And, right. and it prepares you for the future. But, you know, it kind of goes back to societal conditioning. And, mm -hmm. you know, how can you work around that? One of the things I tell people, especially younger people, say in their 20s, or they're really just anyone that's changing their career or, or earlier and early in their career. Hey, man, if you make 40 grand or 49 grand when you're 24, it's not going to matter when you're 35. Don't, don't, don't choose a job based on based on pay. You choose a job based on what you're going to learn and what you're going to get, get exposed to and how that could help impact your future. Because when you're 35, 40, 45, 50 years old, um, that eight grand difference between the two jobs you looked at when you were 23 isn't going to mean, mean shit. Um, what is going to mean shit is what you picked up and the skill sets you learned as you launched your career. And listen, people are probably listening to this being like, well, yeah, but what if it's between 40 grand and 70 grand? I still stand by my comment, man. I still stand by my comments. Okay. Yeah. At some point you're going to have to make a decision on, on, um, you know, what you want to do with your life. 
But shit, if if you have a disparity between a 40 grand job and a 70 grand job, hey man, that 70 grand job might be better, not just because of the pay, because of the responsibilities you're gonna have and what you're gonna be asked to do and who you're gonna be exposed to as well. Um, but when the when the disparity is a, a lot less, throw it out the window, man. Throw it out the window. If, if, if you're if you're talking a 10 or 15% difference in pay and you're looking at two different jobs. Throw that disparity out the damn window. Screw the 401k match differences. Screw the health insurance differences. Just look at it strictly from, am I going to learn more at choice A or am I going to learn more at choice B? And I don't give a shit if one of them pays you six grand less. Do not look at it that way. No, that's 100% true. And, you know, it's interesting also, you know, there are, you know, you know, people who, you know, drop out of college to, you know, get a job. And, you know, you can, yeah. again, look at your first few years out of school the same way as, you know, again, you're probably losing yourself money in the long run, um, dropping out of college. I mean, that being said, again, everyone's situation is different. You know, some people, again, you know, one of my teammates when I played rugby in college, he led our team in points his last season. Mm-hmm. And then he dropped out because he was financially ineligible, but he was paying yeah. his mother's bills. Right, so, right. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. And, you know, he was, he, you know, he wasn't a privileged kid and you know he was you know again you know he he had you know partial academic scholarship but it just sure. didn't it didn't cover enough um and you know you don't get you know scholarships playing rugby at a division three college the way you do playing a sport at a d1 um yeah and, and you know what i always tell people man that, that bachelor's degree it's a barrier of entry to, to a lot there's a lot of doors that are going to be, remain closed to you w- without that college degree so so whether or not you're going to justify if that economics degree or if that philosophy degree or if that english degree mattered or not because you're not going to do anything in that space uh a lot of the jobs in that space that are considered good jobs you can't even get the damn interview without the bachelor's degree um once you start talking love like you did earlier about people paying a lot of money for phds and things of that nature listen man MBAs, same as bachelor's degree. So you need an MBA as as an entry point to even get in the door with with, with certain jobs, like so, certain upper management business types of jobs. Yeah, maybe you need an MBA because you need that skill set or they want to see it on your resume for people that put in those roles. Fine, so be it. And and honestly, with an MBA, some of those skill sets you, you probably would need to learn anyway, in my, in my opinion. But once you start getting into PhDs and other doctorate um, types of types of degrees, um, what, what I've seen at least is it's not really about the money at that point. Um, usually you're seeing people that, that are just more academic in nature or more, more research oriented. Sure. Of course they want to feed their families and, and sure, of course they want to provide and do things, but, but they're looking at their careers a little bit differently than money. Um, and they're trying to make usually a, a, a different type of, of impact on the world. And that, and that takes precedence over, over how much money that they can make. Um, that's just my humble opinion on it. I'm sure there's exceptions to that rule, but that's what I've seen out there. You know, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's funny also, um, you know, there, you know, different people, you know, for example, some people don't let go of certain things. Um, you know, that's, that's true in sports and, you know, for you, you know, with what you've accomplished in your career, you know, when you were at Notre Dame, you were an NFL prospect, you know, you had an yeah. injury, but, you know, I've talked to so many different NFL alumni about <laughs> how hard the transition is to the real world. Oh yeah. And because, and it's really, it's relatable for anyone in any ridiculously competitive profession to make it in these ridiculously competitive 
professions, you have to be so obsessive, whether that's a professional athlete, whether that's like my dad's an economics professor, the amount that he studies and like how oblivious he is sometimes to his outside world. Um, And, you know, and, and for me, like if broadcasting was taken away from me, like, yeah, I had side jobs when I tried to break into industry, but if broadcasting was completely taken away from me, I would feel like a fish out of water. So do you think that, yeah. you know, it's beneficial for your career, even if, you know, maybe it sucked at the time to right. football, <laughs> that it was beneficial for your long-term life to not play in the NFL? I think 150% it was, man, because because what, what ends up happening is it works against you, especially if you're one of those borderline guys, like, like I probably would have been, I, I'll, I'll say it about myself. I'm not sitting there saying I would have been a first round draft pick, man. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, you know, maybe it would have worked out and I turned into a Gronkowski or something, but that wasn't what I was projected to be. I'm supposed to go in the middle of the late rounds. All right. Um, anybody that, uh, there's a movie out right now, which came out last year, I think during COVID it's on Netflix now. Um, everybody's, I think it's called like everybody's all American or something. It's, it's the Kurt Warner story, whatever it's called. I think it's called everybody's all American. And it's just so funny when I watch it because it talks about his career in his twenties for those that don't know. He got into the NFL when he was like 30 years old and ended up, you know, winning the Super Bowl for the Rams and blah, blah, blah. But um, but when he was in his 20s, he's in, he's getting cut from NFL teams. He's playing freaking football on some arena league team that like, you know, was in the damn cornfields, wasn't taken seriously. Um, and then it ended up working out for him in the long run. Well, I got news for you. <laughs> uh, the other 99.99% of guys in that situation that they're not making movies about right now, uh, hung it up around 27, doing the same shit and had to go get a job. And the problem is when they went and go got, when, when they went to go get that job, um, they think that their shit doesn't stink because they were in the Atlanta Falcons, uh, mini camp four years earlier, or, uh, you know, um, they had an agent in their ear saying that they're getting screwed. The Cowboys should have taken them over this guy and blah, blah, blah. And now all of a sudden they're supposed to walk into this workforce at 27 years old, uh, where they've been out of a classroom setting now for four or five years. So they're already at a disadvantage from that standpoint. Um, they think they're football players. They don't think that they're career people. They're wrapping their heads around it at a later age. And, uh, they're starting from the same spot. Everybody else was starting at five years earlier that they're competing against. Um, and, and it's hard. It's hard, man. And, and I'm not telling, I'm not saying, Hey, listen, you're better off not chasing your dream. Cause all of our dreams were play, playing the NFL. Like, you know what I mean? Um, I didn't have that choice cause I got injured, but retrospectively, <laughs> uh, I'm in a way better spot I, than I would have been had I been, you know, 26 years old and, and, and starting there instead of when I was 22. And I'll tell you what, love, I, I even think about, um, I ended up transferring to Northwestern University from Notre Dame and, you know, things that things worked out well for me there outside, outside of football. And, and even at Notre Dame, man, you're treated kind of like um, almost like an NFL athlete when, when you go to school at, at Notre Dame. And I'm sure other schools are very similar, like Ohio State or Alabama or, you know, Clemson schools, you know, schools in that upper echelon, Louisiana State, Oklahoma. Um and even for 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 college athletes at that level coming out, you know, you're signing autographs when you're 18 years old to little kids. You know what I mean? So so even coming out of college in the in the first place, um, you know, you're 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 kind of walking around with your head a little higher than maybe. Hey, <laughs> football's over, bro. You're a normal guy now. No one gives a shit, buddy. Uh, yeah, here, come get a job at uh, you know Deloitte. 
good for you. You better work your ass off against these other kids that uh, just got the same job as you because we ain't signing Fortune 500 companies as clients because you were a good wide out at Notre Dame two years ago. Ain't happening, buddy. You better prove it somewhere, uh, prove your worth a different way. Um, and it's just the reality of the situation. And people that realize that sooner versus later as an athlete and, and as a former athlete, I should say, and they got to wrap their head around that term. I am a former athlete now. I'm not an athlete. Playing basketball at export after work doesn't count. I'm a former athlete. As soon as you wrap your head around the fact that you need to redirect that competitive nature um, to uh, to the white collar work world, um, you know, that that's where you that's where uh, you could really prosper. There's no question about it. And, you know, it's just tough because you know, to make it as an athlete, you have to have this mentality like, you know, I'm unstoppable. I can do anything. But mm -hmm. then the same mentality that gets a lot of people to the highest level also ruins them. And yeah. so it's so hard to make that mental adjustment. Like, but I've learned this, like in my career as a broadcaster, I had to, you know, I had to, you know, keep trying and I got rejected time and time again. You know, I worked at bars as an Uber driver that lifestyle wasn't sustainable. I had to do that to break into the industry. But now that I am where I am, I actually have to learn how to find something that's sustainable. So like doing consistent work on ESPN and doing a consistent podcast, but not being, you know, as much of a lunatic and a hothead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You're at kind of that pivotal point in your career, in my opinion, love. I mean, you 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 you've made a name for yourself now in the, doing these podcasts. Um, you've found ways to get good guests and be successful there. You're also getting good gigs uh, broadcast wise, but it has you know you haven't you know you haven't had that hockey stick quite yet. But it might be coming around the corner, right? Or it might not happen for another five years. Okay, in the four and a half years before that five year mark, when when that that big big break comes, um, you know, have you kept your eye on the ball and kept kept grinding? And uh, you know, unfortunately, in in an industry that you're in. We don't always control our own destiny, unfortunately. We could just try to do everything right, though. So true. It's a completely fluky industry. And, you know, there, yeah, so many things outside your control that affect your outcome. It, the thing also people don't realize when you get to the highest level of, at anything, like happy ever after doesn't exist. <clears throat> like people think if I get to the NFL, a lot of people, I think, have a misconception that all NFL players are set for life financially. Yeah, most of them. First of all, league minimum—that's whatever, six hundred k a season. <clears throat> that's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good money, but that's not enough. You know, if you're like a practice squad guy for a year or two and get cut, that's not enough to be set for life. And right. and then you know, there there are you know the guys like Tom Brady who play forever and make crazy money. Although in Tom Brady's case, and or I'm not saying this about Tom Brady, but someone who makes Tom Brady money could end up broke if they manage it badly enough. Again, not saying that yeah. that's Tom Brady, right. but that type of thing can happen. Um, and then, you know, just, just all kinds of things. There are also people who are, you know, have enough money and have managed it well enough to be set for life, but, you know, they just, you know, they just simply, um, you know, it's bad for their mental health to have too much downtime. You know, and and, and there, there are retired people who've made millions who work at Starbucks just to get out of bed in the morning, you know, because they're used to that routine. So I think there are a lot of misconceptions. The same way people think if you get married, you're happily ever, ha live happily ever after. Even the couples that make it the distance have all kinds yeah. of issues. So yeah. again, you know, you're never, you're never at a point where you're invincible.
Exactly, man. And and even even that that middle tier, not even the lower tier of the NFL players. Yeah, man. Just you know, you're new to the league, whatever. We live in this kind of culture where you see things on TV, people being flashy with you know their chains and you know driving Bentleys and boats and flying private jets. Man, do you know how much wealth you need to accumulate to be able to afford that shit on a regular basis? Or you better just have money coming in. All right. If you're making, what did you say? The minimum is 600 grand. If you're making 600 grand, you can't do that shit. You you could pick one. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could get a Mercedes, but you can't get a Mercedes and a boat. Uh, you shouldn't even get the Mercedes until you know you're going to be doing it for a few years. You know what I mean? And maybe when you're going to propose to your fiance, yeah, then maybe do something nice in a private jet or private helicopter, but don't do that shit with your eight friends every weekend where you're paying for everyone. It's just bad business, man. You'll 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 run out of money. <laughs> I mean, just get, get get a Mercedes that's a couple years old if you need one, and uh, yeah, spend five grand on a chain and uh, leave leave the rest to your second contract when you hit it big. You know, there's no question. One, a lot of people are are fake rich, and that's true in cities. You know, I live in the suburbs, but a lot of people in Boston are are fake rich and and spend yeah. money they don't have, and it's like if they lost their job they'd have to move in with their parents. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it's, it's, I think a lot of that comes from, from insecurity. Um, you know, and it, it's funny cause like a lot of really successful people aren't embarrassed to hustle or not flaunt what they have going for them. But, mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, again, the people who maybe don't have any, you know, major issues that are obvious to the outside world, but also don't yep. have any major gifts are, the people who, again, you know, spend money they don't have. There are tons of, you know, really rich people who wear less fancy clothes than, um, you know, again, middle of the pack people financially who just try to, you know, ball out. I talk about this concept in my book, actually, and um, it, it's talking about financial freedom and to, to, to actually become financially free means that you're no longer relying. And, you know, there's different definitions people would use, but the definition I take is that you don't need to rely on income coming in. You've built up enough wealth that you can live off of that wealth in itself. And, and I use what I call the 5% rule. All right. So if you're living a lifestyle where you want to make the equivalent of say a $400,000 per year salary, and you want to spend every penny of that 400 grand, um, and uh, that's your life. Okay. You take 400,000, divide it by 0 0.05. Okay. Um, and uh, whatever that comes out to be, I don't want to do the math. I'm going to do that math for me. What is that? 8 million. Did I do that right? Is it 8 million? 400 grand divided by 0 0.05. Um, it's 8 million. 8 million. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> 8 million. So, so you, if you have 8 million as a nest egg, okay, then, then you could live off that 400 grand a year and be financially free. If you're spending the same 400 grand, that you're making right now, okay? I got bad news for you, man. <laughs> you gotta just keep making that forever to live this lifestyle. You follow me? <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're never gonna be financially free. You're, you're spending the 400 grand you make. Oh, okay. Well, no, 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 but, I, but I'm making, I'm, I'm, I'm living off of, I make 450 and I only spend 400 grand. Okay, that's fine. Put that 50 grand towards that 8 million one day. You still need to get the 8 million to be financially free. Okay. Um, so, so, so Lev, when you, when you talk about, you see rich people, you know, they maybe don't have the nice clothes or are driving whatever. 
you know, a lot of times that's because they don't give a shit what other people, other people think. But a lot of times it's also because of what I just described. Well, wait a minute, dude. I, I let, I better lower my standard of living because I put more value in going to watch my cousin's kids graduation in Oklahoma next Tuesday, or I want to fly out to my, you know, my uh, godson's christening and stay an extra few days to visit with old friends of mine out in Oregon or, you know, whatever the hell it is, man, you're putting more value on that than working. Okay. How can we change our lifestyle, um, you know, to fit that? And, and it's a personal choice, man. It, it, it's a personal choice. I'll, I'll say for me, I was building my company and I was making a ton of money. Um, and if I wasn't able to sell my company to a private, a private equity firm, I never would have got to the point that I'm at right now. So that's another concept behind the 2000% raise. It's like, okay, not only are you going to give yourself theoretically a 20X raise on your current salary, if you go work for yourself, you're also going to be building equity in something that you could sell. So instead of retiring and hoping you saved enough in your 401k to last you, okay, no, I'm going to retire and get millions of dollars with with this with this uh sale as well and boom now i don't got to worry about shit um you know that's that's the concept at least and that's how it's worked out for me um and i'm really just trying to open open people's eyes to the ideology that you know ever we're you know we're picking on football players right now but take an insurance salesman take an architect take whomever that has a job working for someone else. Take the guy that, you know, the dual income, no kids couple that's 32 years old and buys their first house in the city and they're, you know, coll collectively making 300 grand thinking that their shit don't stink, but she drives a Range Rover, he drives a freaking, you know, Mercedes, um, you know, whatever. Now they have their first kid and, oh gosh, she doesn't have to work anymore or she wants to stay home with the kid and, you know, where he does, whatever the case may be. And this after they both keep working, they get a nanny. Okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, oh shit, we built this life for ourselves and we set ourselves at this benchmark. Uh, honey, um, how much are you putting in your 401k? Uh, I'm not putting anything in mine. Uh, how much is your employer matching? Man, all shit you don't have to worry about or shit you shouldn't have to worry about, okay? You know, how about you rewind? When you guys were making 250 or 350 collectively, um, how about you live your lifestyle based on 110 a year, not on 349 a year? Okay. Not now we got a different set of circumstances. Um, so I, you know, it's again, it's not so easy to pick on these athletes. Oh, these spoiled brats. Or, That's just an example. You know, There's yeah. so many. I mean, they're, you know, it's almost like a drug where it's like, being really good at a sport is like a drug, you know, being yeah. on TV is like a drug, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, being a, you know, whatever, a musician, you know, or, you know, being wealthy or, you know, having a flashy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but when you're so reliant on one thing for your entire self-esteem, that leaves you very vulnerable if it's taken away. Yep. That, that, that's absolutely right. And, and, and I think you, you kind of hit it on the head earlier. The, the general public doesn't understand that not everyone's going to be making what Peyton Manning made in the NFL, made in the NFL, made, made, what did I say? Made in the NFL, made in the NFL. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it's just the, you know, not everyone's, not everyone's going to be Jonathan Taylor or Austin Eckler. You know what I mean? That's not the way it goes, bro. So, um, yeah, you know, you, and then you end up living up, uh, living up to expectations and whether it's family members or friends expect, you know what, man? And, and it's, it's especially true for, um, 
or people that maybe come from poverty too that, that are in that situation or not even especially true. I think I would say it's probably especially harder for, 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 for people that, that come up from, come from poverty that end up in that situation because they just, you know, the, the guidance is probably limited on, on, you know, how they've seen people manage money and, and that 600 grand, even if they're only making it for one year, you, you, you do feel rich and you don't maybe understand completely that, you know, that's not going to be enough if you don't keep making that the next 10 years to live this lifestyle you're trying to create. 100%, you know, and, and mm -hmm. especially, you know, those are some of the most vulnerable people when it comes to taking advantage of people like wealthy young athletes who mm -hmm. don't know how to, you know, manage their money and are kind of adrenaline junkies. And yep. I, I'll admit, you know, I, when I played college sports, I was a meathead, like from, you know, but it gave me a little bit of an edge because it was like, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this from football, like rugby and football are violent sports. So like mm -hmm. in a job, an anger management problem would get you fired. Like I had an anger management problem and I got voted team captain and, <laughs> you know, and like I drank right. too much and people would be like, you're a legend in the real world. People are like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> You know right, what I mean? Right, it's, right, right. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't prepare you for the real world. You don't have a sense of the way the real world works. Yep, yep. That's I, dude, that's that's so spot on, man. And I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I over the years I've made good friends with um a guy named Josh Childress who played in the NBA for a while. He was on the Hawks and then later on the Sixers. Um, he was a really good uh, um, NBA pl basketball player. Uh, went to Stanford. Anyway, he he um does this stuff where he he meets with young um nba players and really promotes financial literacy and it's really kind of made that his, his mission on, on not mismanaging the money um and you, you know i gotta tell you man too like let, let's let's just call it like it is nba players make a shit ton more money than that than the nfl players right but you know is is that better or worse than <laughs> you're still putting the 23 year old kid in this situation okay if you give them 600 grand or you give them, you know, two million, you know, or or more. Obviously, if you know, talking big bucks there. But I don't even know what the NBA league minimum is. Whatever. But 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 you know, is a two million guy the guy better or worse? I mean, guess what? If if they, if they, if neither of them have any resources given to them and don't make that in year two, and they're spending all their money on all their friends, I mean, we all we all got the same issue. But but again, man, you know, like I said, this is us as as society very easy to you know pinpoint these guys because no one else is making a million dollars coming out of high school unless they're a freaking you know bioscientist or some shit and that's not even true you know what i mean <laughs> so 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 of course we're all gonna pick on them right okay remember the example of the two 30 year olds that make 350 that are spending every freaking penny of it okay and then she stays home with the kid I don't give a shit. You don't have to be an NBA player or an NFL player to have, have this issue. It, 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 it's just, it's what it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's just, there, there are just so many different examples. Um, it's also, we're talking about like people being taken advantage of, mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know if you watched the Manti Teo documentary. <laughs> Somebody just put me onto that the other day. I I, I didn't live it, but I paid close attention to it while it was happening. Well, and you were a Notre I, Dame guy, also, not just a football guy. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, oh god, I, I, did they get into like Notre Dame covering? What, what do they talk about in the document? I didn't watch. Well, it so the thing is about about Manti. Honestly, so at the time it happened, everyone laughed at him, but I actually 
have a lot of compassion for him because, mm. you know, he was just such a naive kid because not only was he multiple reasons, like, again, he had that hyper focus, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I've seen this like with my dad where, you know, he turned down an opportunity to go on the Dr. Phil show the other day because he wanted to read oh, and wow. like he quit college tennis because he wanted to study more. And like, yes. there'll be times when I try to talk to him and he'll just, and you know, he'll be working and it's like, huh, excuse me, were you saying something? And he, Manciteo was just so hyper-focused on football that, you know, people think that successful people can't be taken advantage of. He was so hyper-focused on football and just locked in at all times. And then on top of that, um, you know, he, he had the hyper-focus. He also, he was from a really strict religious family. So he didn't party or pick up girls or do any of that. Like he talked about how he didn't fit in socially and felt uncomfortable meeting people. So he was the person who would talk to someone on the internet and have an online girlfriend. People say, Oh, yeah. you're a star football player at Notre Dame. You could get laid every day. Yeah. But, by who? <laughs> by who at Notre Dame? No one. Okay. Well, Go true. Ahead. Well, <laughs> touchy, touchy, but no, but it's like, but, but, and on top of that, that was when catfishing first started. So there wasn't much awareness. Yeah. About the, term it. Was, the term wasn't even out yet. I don't think. Right. So he was more vulnerable because there wasn't as, as much awareness as to how it worked. And like this person really, really went into detail. Like, this his fake girlfriend, who is a man, has now transitioned, gotten the surgery, now a, a transgender woman. Um, this person would even talk to Manti Teo's parents and they'd say, We'd love to meet you. Like, and he was from such a sheltered religious culture. So mm. honestly, a lot of people in his situation could have had that happen to them. Yeah. Yeah, that that's uh that's super interesting. Hey, th- this is a little off topic, but what in the documentary, did they get into Notre Dame getting any heat for? covering it up because well, they're still kind so, of promoting because they're promoting the stories i'm not trying to say anything anti-nd on this but they were they were promoting the story still when they knew that it was a hoax allegedly and it was because they were looking at he was on a heisman run well yeah the thing is though so notre dame was going to mantateo and notre dame were gonna um you know talk about what happened yeah. But um, but then and they were gonna you know release a statement, but basically, um, Deadspin beat them to it. Oh. And you always want to control the narrative. You always yeah. want to control okay. the narrative. You know, yeah. if 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 someone you know if I if I went on the podcast and said John Sarasani is a a douchebag and a shady businessman, you'd want to yeah. release a public statement. You wouldn't want you know I don't know. You wouldn't want you know some investigative journalist to write something about you before you could talk about it and be like, everything Leverball said is wrong. So Manti Teo was going to control the narrative, but the narrative was controlled for him. And at that point, this was humiliation. It's like having your pants pulled down at high school. Yeah, That's embarrassing, but this was in front of the world. It's, there's yeah. another level of humiliation when you're at that level. And it's just, it's just one of those things. And were they on the, was there, were they in the national championship game that year too? Yeah. A, yeah, and it and happened. The, yeah, and he, he, I guess he yeah. got it. It was wild. They had the Heisman ceremony. He didn't yeah. win. Right. Was it Johnny Manziel that year? I think. And then after that, they uh, someone called um, Manti Teo, and it was a man's voice. And the person said, "I've been catfishing you." And then Manti Teo played in the national championship game after that, and they said that like he played like shit, like he was just a mess. Well, and I mean, they, um, they, lost, they lost by like ninety four points, I think. 
Yeah, they got their ass kicked, and he wasn't the only. It wasn't problem, that bad? By like, the way, I'm 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 for those that aren't on video. I am you drinking out of a Notre Dame coffee mug right now. So I, I'm coming across like I'm hating on it. I, it. It's just it was a little dark spot. Uh, anyway, I got to watch this documentary. Yeah, but no, but it's just like again that could have happened to so many people. So yeah. many of these at young, especially young athletes, the same way they get manipulated easily during recruitment mm. by coaches because they're 18. Right. Yep. And it's just like they're, they're so vulnerable. And it's the same mm-hmm. way like Urban Meyer, when he, you know, got to the NFL, all these reports came out about him treating his players like shit. He did that in college yeah. also. But right. year old kids don't have lawyers and, you know, self-confidence. And so, again, it's, it's, it just that could have happened to a lot of college stars. He was a combination of being clueless and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that background about him. Um, I'm going to go check that movie out now that that is, you know, people like me that weren't really paying attention other than just, you know, the headlines. There's a lot going on with Notre Dame at that point. We're trying to win a national championship. And this was kind of like the side story. Right. Um, You know, I, I didn't know a lot of what you just said there. So I think that's cool that they put a documentary out there to get the story straight. That, that is cool. Yeah. And it helps him to move on with his life because, yeah. you know, it's the same way, like if there's, you know, an like there's a lot of like really vicious trash talk from fans. It's not sure. just players. So right. like, you know, if your ex-wife pressed a restraining order against you or, mm-hmm. you know, you were in jail or, you know, you were in rehab, that's, that's what people use against you as a weapon. Fans get really, really personal. So can you imagine right. playing in the NFL when you were like the face of a fake girlfriend scandal? I mean, You're terrible. Yeah. Terrible. So, but, um, but, you know, but also, you know, what can you say about, you know, your goals moving forward? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as, you know, not, you know, some people, again, people think you live happily ever after. So maybe mm-hmm. they see some of the things you did with Glencrest Global and right. you're just untouchable. But, you know, mm-hmm. you're still driven to do a lot of things. So what are some things you're trying to do moving forward? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm trying to get things launched here. I, I'm I'm building a, a social media and more of a digital presence because I'm really trying to help the masses in terms of business acumen, and that's really the basis be, behind why why I wrote uh, the book I wrote. Um, additionally, I'm starting a podcast also called Two Thousand Percent Raise that'll be starting in the in the near future. Um, the the idea behind all of this is just to to, to reach more people. I'm not turning around and trying to monetize my efforts. I'm not selling business coaching services. I'm not, you know, selling newsletters or whatever. Maybe we will at some point, but that, that's not the plan. Okay. You know, I, I also did all of this, you know, entrepreneurship success already. It's not like I'm out here talking about something that's, you know, an idea or trying to tell people how to do something that I never have, I've never done. So I I thought there was this space out there, this, I hate using this term, but kind of this white space out there in, um, you know, in social media land um, with these business influencers that, you know, don't really have the credibility in my eyes to, to be giving some of the advice that they're giving. And, you know, when you when you dig deep and kind of peel back the onion, a lot of times they're selling business coaching services when their successful business is simply the business coaching service that they're looking for you to be a client of. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like a lot of people that are in my position um, don't bother to to um, want to screw with this down here with what I'm talking about, um, just because we're independently wealthy at this point and don't really 
need to do this shit, but I think that there is a reason to do it. I've always kind of like to be a, I guess, a teacher or a mentor by nature. And, um, you know, that that's what gets me out of bed each morning. Um, doing a lot on Instagram at John Sarasani, as well as uh, TikTok uh, at John Sarasani as well. Um, 2000percentraise.com is, uh, is the website to get on our, you know, our, our free email newsletter and find other content. Um, and I just share my stories, man. I, you know, I'm a venture capitalist. I got people walking through my door really daily with different business plans and I'm telling them what works, why I might invest in them, why I might not invest in them. Um, you know, I talk to some really high caliber entrepreneurs that maybe have some shitty ideas. And I talk to some people that have great ideas that are just not good enough entrepreneurs to execute them. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just trying to share what I'm learning along the way here with the masses. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when it comes to, you know, when successful people, you know, put their, put their message out there, mm -hmm. you know, there, there are certain things that are helpful and certain things that aren't like, for example, you know, I remember someone telling me like, you know, when I was giving an ex-girlfriend advice, like, you don't know what it's like to be a woman, you know, you know, yeah. you don't, you, you haven't been in their shoes. I don't know if in this situation, <laughs> your, your right. advice is, is that helpful. And the same thing, like, for example, Tom Brady, when he talks about his TB12 diet and avocado ice cream, everyone's like, that's stupid. That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. But, you know, there are certain things that anyone could benefit from. They're just not aware of it. You sure. know, there are, you know, societal myths. And so right. while not everyone maybe has your skill set, there are ways that people could do better that they're just not aware of. And, and what do you think are some of the, you know, primary societal myths that come to when it comes to entrepreneurship. Yeah, man. I, well, I, I think the the biggest one really starts with with this whole ideology, you know, that that climbing that corporate ladder, looking for that promotion, looking for that raise, it, it is a good thing. You know, building your four hundred one k with an employer and and staying there is, is a good thing, and that's how we've been conditioned. It's right there with you know with home ownership, the American dream to be a homeowner. You know, to 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 grow from associate title to assistant vice president one day, and to make it to vice president within a twenty year period. I mean, come on, man. This is this is not. Um, you know, this is an epiphany that I had in my twenties. That that it's all smoke and mirrors, brother. It's all smoke and mirrors. Um, now, I think that there's many people out there. Um, not everybody, but there's definitely many that uh, should consider being a good employee, should consider staying the route in corporate America just because they don't have the grit or the wherewithal to go and be an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, I, I talk about that evaluation, do an analysis of yourself. <laughs> you know, let's say you're in a sales job and you think you could go out and be better than this and compete against your former employer. Well, you're not even the best sales rep in the office there and you got a big company's name on your business card and you're not selling shit. Okay. And uh, so you're going to go be able to sell working from your damn kitchen table against people that are kicking your ass right now. Explain that one to me. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. You got to look in the mirror. All right. And figure out if you are cut out for this. Now, you might be cut out for it, but you might not be. It just might be that you're not ready yet. So one of the things I really talk about in that book is to identify um, the reasons that you're not there. Um, you've come to the conclusion that you know you're not going to be able to compete and win against companies like your current employer. 
So what do you need to do to get there? Um, what do you need to expose yourself to in the industry? What do you need to get better at, um, you know, to make that happen? And I got to tell you, love, listen, man, I just, I made a TikTok about this the other day. This shit ain't for everyone, brother. <laughs> Not everyone can do this shit. Okay. Like for me, it worked out. I sold my company to private equity when I was 37. I haven't freaking worked in a long time. You know what I mean? That Like, you don't need to. This shit is not for everyone, though. You know, you forget that when I was 26 years old, when your ass was freaking, you know, taking two hour lunches, I was freaking driving through the cornfields in central Illinois or on a Friday afternoon coming back from business meetings at 6 p.m. to talk to a CFO about a company that they never heard of instead of just calling them or writing a letter or sending them an email like everyone else does. And then the next freaking Monday, I was getting up and doing the same shit in rural Indiana. Okay. Not everyone's cut out for this shit. So, um, you know, for me, <laughs> I'm motivated by money and I always was and working in insurance, I happened to be pretty damn good at it. So I freaking gravitated towards that and just took it as far as I could. Um, you know, uh, so, so I, I think, I think some advice or a takeaway for, for maybe your listeners on this would be put in the time, put in the work, put in the effort, find something that you genuinely give a shit about. Um, if you're not motivated by money, I don't know if entrepreneurship's right for you. A lot of people will talk about freedom and all this other stuff that comes with it. And I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know if it's worth it if you're not motivated by money um, personally. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> put the time in and, and get it done or uh, don't put in the time and work a nine to five and take your two weeks of PTO each year and uh, find a spouse to enjoy your life with. Pick one. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I just think also, you know, people have certain, you know, they develop certain superpowers from life experiences. And, you know, I, I think for you, maybe like being a former high level football player that, um, you know, that prepared you for entrepreneurship, you know, and, and because I remember, you know, when I first met you, you talked about how when you first went to the corporate world, you realized you were wired differently from the people mm -hmm. who you were working with. Yep. And, you know, there are also some people who have, you know, overcome really, really tough personal experiences and, mm -hmm. you know, have overcome personal adversity and that personal adversity can ruin your life. But if you get through it, it becomes a superpower and an advantage. And yep. So, you know, I think people who have been coddled their entire life aren't cut out for it. People who have never yeah. been through anything aren't cut out for it. I think, you know, in, in, um, you know, in, and I think also, you know, when, when people, when entrepreneurs and podcasters talk about like what they've been through, there are mm -hmm. multiple reasons why they do it. Some right. people do it for attention and they embellish, but there mm -hmm. are people who genuinely want to inspire people going through similar things. So there's right. there's nothing wrong with opening up about what you've been through personally. I think it's all about doing it for the right reasons. But would you say, you know, it was football or personal experiences or what do you think it was that prepared you for entrepreneurship? Yeah, man. I I think it's just a it's it, I think it's a mindset, man. I I do think football definitely played a role, uh, a a big one. And you know, it becomes the chicken or the egg, right? Like, do I have that competitive nature because of football or was I already it was part of the reason I was good at football because of that competitive competitive nature? You know, it all kind of goes hand in hand and really translates into that, you know, into that into the um, you know, work world. But but I could tell you 
man. I could tell you I played football side by side with some people that are just soft in nature. They might have been good football players, but they're just soft people. They don't have like hard, you know, aggressive personalities. You know what I mean? On the football field, they might look like trained killers, but you talk to them outside of there or, you know, throw some jabs at them at a bar and, you know, have a word war or something. They're just soft or just non-aggressive people in general. So, so you know, football, just because you're a good football player doesn't necessarily you know, translate into being a freaking pit bull in the damn business world. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, man, I, I ended up being better in business than I was at football and I was pretty good at football. So I'm, <laughs> don't mean to toot my own horn, but I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> but maybe, maybe getting, you know, getting hurt, um, you know, was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, no, it definitely was, dude. It definitely was brother. I honestly, man, I was able to just translate all of that shit towards the competitive nature. I had nothing to gear my shit towards. You know, I, I went from <laughs> I went from thinking I was going to play in the NFL to uh, the last game of my senior year, finding out I was damn injured. Um, it was actually after the last game of my senior year. I got invited to play in the Blue Gray All Star Game, which they don't have anymore. Had to get a physical for that. Found something wrong with my damn spine in the physical. They're like, "Ah, oh, yeah, dude, you can't play football anymore." And I'm like, "Oh, I'll still play football." Trainers like, "Ah, no, we're gonna have to tell NFL teams about this, and nobody is gonna want to draft you." Just an FYI. <laughs> so, like, but okay. you never had any thought of of, and I think that's good. So many people in your situation would have tried to cover up their injury. Yeah, and yeah. and. It's so many people hide injuries. And I mean, not only would you not have developed as much in your career, but like there are, you know, former NFL players in their thirties walking around with canes. And I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's brutal. So oh, again, yeah. I think that was, you know, probably a, you know, a blessing in disguise for you. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Also, you said there were some guys who are good football players, but were soft. People right. don't realize how many fake tough guys there are out there. And, and <laughs> th there were, not going to say any names. I don't want to be mean, but, you know, and not get invited to alumni events. But the biggest, like, bully on my team when it came to, like, hazing freshmen, like, picking mm -hmm. on kids that no one liked yeah. was the softest kid on the team. And <laughs> he was, like, terrified to get hit in practice. And granted, you're not going to level your teammate in practice. If you breathed on him in practice, hissy fit. I'm telling coach. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and people don't realize that, I think, also, you know, right. a lot of these – top athletes are actually really insecure people. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you where right now for football players, here's the thing about football players, especially the big guys, man, like here's a little secret for the general public. Most of us never had to get into fights our whole life. That's not the case for me. I've managed to find my way into a bunch of fights, but a lot of people never get into fights. No, one, no one's trying to fight a 6'6", 320-pound guy. No one's trying to fight a 6'3", 220-pound guy either. Like, it just doesn't happen, dude. People, like, don't fight them, so they're just not used to that atmosphere, okay? I, I always, like, freaking laugh. Um when I, was, when I was in college, I'd always tell people, dude, last thing you want to do is get into a bar fight with some freaking five foot nine hundred sixty pound wrestler because those guys are freaking crazy dude they're, they're crazy and they got something to prove and just get the hell out of that situation because you kick their ass you were supposed to or they make you look stupid then uh you know you got a bigger problem but uh you know i i think the the the, the wrestler types and um the uh the at well nowadays the mma guys i i've always kind of thought ah stay away from that guy you know what i mean never you never want to underestimate people and the last person you'd expect would mm -hmm. whoop someone's ass 100 but you know <laughs> uh, before we before we wrap things up did you have yeah. your final thoughts on any other projects you're doing or anything you're looking to promote 
No, man. I appreciate this. I appreciate you having me back on here. This is great. I, uh, you know, I, I'm excited about my podcast and my book coming up, 2000%raise.com. Any of your listeners that are uh, active on social media, doing a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, reels and TikTok posts. So uh, join me there, please. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, once again, everyone, that is John Sarasani. You've been listening to the Lever Ball Show.